the teams you care about. When you think about the Patriots' needs this offseason, look for one trait, explosiveness. The stories that matter to you. I'm not convinced that Ben Shungu, that he's not the league player of the year. This is your home for New England sports. Bobby Dahlbeck playing third base this year? Now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Brady Farkas Show on a Friday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Plenty to get to today. We go up until 645, and then we give way to high school basketball. Division II boys quarterfinals. Mount Abraham at Montpelier. Our own Brent Curtis will be on the call at 645. We're going to be joined today by Fairfax, Vermont native, longtime NASCAR pit crew member Rick Pigeon. He's going to be with me at 645 or 545 rather. Remember, we have NASCAR coverage coming up on Sunday. Our Cup Series coverage continues as we go on the road to Vegas. So we'll have that coverage for you Sunday at 1:30. But Rick Pigeon with us at 545. We got plenty of big news on the Patriots and the situation with JC Jackson as well. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also get in on our Facebook live stream as well as our YouTube live stream just by commenting there. Let's waste no time, everybody. Lego! Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. And the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. The America East coaches got it wrong today. Ben Shungu, our guy, South Burlington native, Rice Memorial High School product, he deserved, as I've been telling you for weeks, to win America East Conference Player of the Year. And he didn't. I've been telling you for a month that Ben Shungu is the Conference Player of the Year. I thought he had the solidifying moment against Binghamton a couple of weeks ago. UVM goes 17-1 and in the league. I was convinced that Shungu's the Player of the Year. And today, the league awards come out and the league coaches voted that he wasn't. I am flabbergasted by this decision. Now, Ryan Davis, also of UVM, he did win the League Player of the Year award. Second straight year. And I don't want to take anything away from him. Ryan Davis is a great player. He's a UVM guy as well. So I'm certainly happy that it stayed in the family. But that said, the league coaches got it wrong. Ben Shungu earned and deserved that award, and he earned and deserved that league recognition. He should be, today, the Conference Player of the Year. I'm not going to bury you all in numbers, but let's just run through this kind of very quickly. Davis averaged 17.5 points a game in the league. Shungu averaged 17.4. Essentially a wash there. Davis is a big guy. He averaged more rebounds, as you'd expect. Shungu was a guard. He averaged more assists, as you would expect. Davis was better at the free throw line. Benny was far better from three. So what I'm telling you, offensively, they're pretty much evenly split. Offensively, it's pretty much a wash. So why do I give the award to Shungu? 
two reasons. Defensive ability and availability. Ben Shungu is on the all-defensive team this year. He's doing everything. Ryan Davis was not. Ryan Davis had great defensive moments. A couple of big blocks, I remember, against UMass Lowell in that game on the road that got tenuous late. But Ben Shungu is, I think, seventh in the league in steals per game. He is one of the top defenders in the American East Conference. Offensively, they're split. Offensively, it's basically a wash. Defensively, Ben Shungu is on the all-defensive team. He's in the he's he's seventh in the league in steals per game. He's playing both sides of the floor in a way that Ryan Davis isn't. This is not just an offensive award. It's a most valuable player award. And Ben Shungu is the most valuable player. He was the most complete player. He was the most well-rounded player, the most all-around player in the America East Conference this year. He was great offensively, 17.4 points per game. He also was great defensively. And he was always available. It's one of the biggest cliches that people use. The best ability is availability, and Ben Shungu had it. He played all 18 games in the league schedule. Ryan Davis missed three. Ryan Davis missed three games inside the league season. Ben Shungu played all 18. Why are we not today congratulating Ben Shungu on being the league player of the year? Because I'm flummoxed. I have no idea why. Is it reputation? Is it that Davis won the award last year, so there's this reputation of him as the best player in the league? This ain't last year. This ain't last year. This is this year. And Ben Shungu is the most complete player this year. Offense, wash. Defense, better. He's a guard. He's got the ball in his hands more often than Davis does. And he always played. Jim in Richmond says eight of the last ten America East Player of the Year awards were forwards. Uh, I believe that to be true. I don't have that off the top of my head. But Jameel Warney of Stony Brook won three of them. So, I mean... He was a big guy. Anthony Lamb won two, and Davis has won two. So, I mean, that's seven right there. Trey Bell Haynes of Vermont was probably the two guards he's referring to. I mean, so that that makes sense, but Jameel Warney was dominant, and Anthony Lamb was dominant. I don't believe that Ryan Davis was significantly more dominant than Ben Shungu. They're both great, and I'm happy it stayed in the family. This is... Six consecutive years that a UVM player has won this award. Two for uh, Bell Haynes, two for Lamb, and two for for Davis. So I'm happy that it stayed in the green and gold, but they just got it wrong. League coaches who are prepared for everything, who watch tape, this isn't the media that voted on this. This isn't a fan award. The league coaches voted on this award, and they didn't see that Ben Shungu was the most valuable player, I, I I don't understand. And I texted a league assistant two weeks ago or so, and they were convinced that Shungu was going to win the award. I'm not the only one who thought that this was coming. Hamlet Tibbs, who's a Albany assistant now, he came on our show a month ago, and he said that, that Benny's not only 
one of the best players in the America East. He said this. Well, it's no surprise. He, he puts a lot of work in, you know, into his team and working on his craft. And obviously, you know, he's playing at a really high level. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all started with him putting the work in, you know, behind closed doors and nobody, you know, nobody's seen him put that extra time and extra work in. You know, he's, he's turned himself into, a, you know, one of the best guards in the country. One of the best guards in the country, not even the America East, one of the best guards in the country, and he can't win League Player of the Year. I, I think it really is a damn shame. Ryan Davis already has that hardware this year. I think was I think was, was Benny Shungus. Offensively great, defensively tenacious, has a guard or as a guard has the ball in his hands all the time. He played more than 100 minutes in conference than Davis did. Played in every game. Davis didn't. To me, Ben Shungu is the player of the year. I just I just can't get over this. Give me a Ben Shungu highlight just for the just for the sake of it. He deserves it today. I'm gonna go ahead and see. Here comes Ryan Davis with the screen. Oh, there's a slip. Oh boy, Ben Shungu for three. He got it at the buzzer. Oh my! Ben Shungu inner Kobe. He gets it. And that was one from that tournament back in Florida at the beginning of the year. That guy, I remember we 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 kind of ribbed that guy a bit for that call. Give me another Benny highlight with a, a, a slightly better call, please. Oh, outlet pass to Ben Shungo, and he takes advantage with the icing on the cake. A slam for the man from Burlington. Yes, Ben Shungo should have been the player of the year. I mean, I, reputation, I guess, is what gave it to Davis, but the, the coaches, to me, just got this wrong. Couple of texts here. Dave in South Burlington on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, which is 802 585 3026, says Davis does tend to dominate the game when he's playing, but you actually had me sold on Shungu. Uh, yes, when Davis is playing, he's excellent, but he didn't play every game. Benny did, and Benny also plays better defense. Yeah, it played every game. So I no one's going to convince me that Benny didn't get jobbed here. Um, Mark in Burlington, did you see the quote from John Becker about what Davis said? And I did. So if you didn't see this, here here's what it is. Ryan Davis sent a text message to John Becker saying, Hey, coach, I don't know if they honor the awards at the first playoff game or not, but if they do, do you think we can get them to honor Benny as well? Or even say we were co-players of the year. I want to recognize Benny in the season he is having. That's incredibly classy. I get nothing in me trying to prop up Ben Shungu. I don't want it to sound like I'm disparaging Ryan Davis. Ryan Davis is an excellent player. And by all accounts, a great student athlete You know, in, in the best of the term. So that right there is indicative of how close this team is of the um, relationships that this team has built, of the togetherness that they feel. I applaud Ryan Davis for doing that. That said, I don't think the league is going to do it. If they had wanted to name co-players of the year, they would have named co-players of the year. They're not going to hand out a charity co-player of the year award just because Ryan Davis wants it. I appreciate it. It's a good teammate. It's good support for your guy. It's a nice gesture. And I'm going to look fondly at Ryan Davis because of it. But it's not going to happen. Benny's on the first team, and he's on the all-defensive team. It's still great accomplishments for a guy who started his career 
as a redshirt walk-on who didn't even have a scholarship and now, six years later, is in the conversation for League Player of the Year. In my opinion, he just should have won it. Um, other notes on UVM, Aaron Deloney's on the uh, – he's the sixth man of the year. He had uh, unbelievable – I think seven games. Yeah, seven games for Deloney off the bench in double figures this year. And he had some of the instant offense games where he put up 20 in a – you know, I think he had 20 against NJIT. It was 23 points, 24 points, 23 in the first half, and he was 8 for 8 from the floor. So Deloney, he's sixth man of the year. Since I've been here – and maybe Jim in Richmond, who's a UVM basketball expert, maybe he can correct me. Since I've been here, I believe that Ben Shungu, Cam Ward, Dre Wills have all won Sixth Man of the Year. So UVM has a history of producing players in that award. And uh, so Benny's on the first team and the all-defensive team. Davis, the player of the year. Deloney, the Sixth Man of the Year. Isaiah Powell got on the third team. And uh, John Becker got Coach of the Year. So great uh Great hardware day for the Catamounts. They'll open up their conference tournament on Sunday afternoon. They will host uh, NJIT in a game at Patrick Gym at 2.30. A lot of people on the uh, text line, by the way, commenting on my look. Yes, I shaved. Yes, I'm wearing a nice shirt. People telling me that I'm looking dapper, wondering if WDEV has instituted a dress code. No, it's just a, a nice Friday. Just a nice Friday. I'm wearing a, a different shirt, and yes, I did shave. I'm, I'm allowed to shave just like all of you. But thank you for noticing. I appreciate all of you that are watching on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. So uh, Joe really wants to talk about J.C. Jackson and the Patriots. We're going to get to that in the 6 o'clock hour. But when we come back, NASCAR Cup Series continues this week in Vegas. Rick Pigeon, a Vermont native, 23 years, a NASCAR pit crew member He's going to join me next on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas show right here on this Friday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are your racing station, and we are in the throes now of the NASCAR season. We're going to have our coverage coming up from Las Vegas on Sunday as we continue with our coverage of the NASCAR Cup Series. And now we're joined by a guy I love talking to, which Rick Pigeon, longtime NASCAR pit crew member. He's worked with Kurt Busch, helped him win a Daytona 500. He's worked with the youngster, Chase Briscoe. And he's a Fairfax, Vermont native. Rick, thanks for being with us again. How are you? I'm Greg Brady. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being with us. I got to plead ignorance or stupidity. But two weeks ago, when we were having our coverage of Daytona, I'm following the Briscoe car like a hawk all day long. I'm looking at it. I'm texting people. I'm like, Briscoe's in fourth. Briscoe's out of the top ten. Briscoe's back in the top five. And the reason why is because I was like, there's a Vermonter on Briscoe's pit crew only to find out you stepped aside from the pit crew world this year. So what happened? Buddy, it was time. It's time. I'm an old man now, you know, gray in the beard. Uh, it was time for me to step aside and let these youngsters go at it. 23 years a NASCAR pit crew member. Why Why is it a young person's game? Educate me. Getting up in the morning, Brady. I mean, you get up and your legs hurt and your back hurts and your shoulders hurt. You know, you're, sometimes you just get sick of hurting. 
<laughs> so now you've taken on a different role at Stuart Haas Racing, of which Briscoe is a part of. So you're still in the Briscoe family, but what's your exact role right now at Stuart Haas? So with this new car comes a new set of challenges, you know, uh, different parts, different, you know, supply chain issues and things like that. And I just, it was time for me to, you know, kind of focus 100% on uh, on all that stuff. It's a... Uh, because it's new to everybody, right? So it's not only are their procedures different, uh, the parts are different, going through some uh, changes here in the shop, how we put cars together. So it was time for me to, to focus solely on that, which which in turn, you know, I have my small group of guys here that assemble all the parts and uh, just working with those guys a lot closer to, to kind of learn what they want and what they need and, and the different uh, different parts to put these things together. So. Uh, more of a management role, um, but it's been good. I mean, it's been a it's been a smooth transition, a few few bumps in the road, but it's been good. So very much an administrative managerial managerial role. How often do you make it down to a track? How often are those guys reaching out to you for guidance? A lot, you know. Uh, I mean, I haven't I've uh, been to a few tests um, just to see the workings of this car at the racetrack. Uh, it's been a it's been fun. It's had its challenges. Um, I'll probably go to a couple races this year, you know, bring bring my son, Jace, you know, just <laughs> let him scope it out and see how things go. And uh, But I'm looking forward to it. You know, Stuart Haas Racing is one of the most accomplished teams in the sport. I mean, I think I read 90 overall Cup Series wins, multiple driver championships that Stuart Haas Racing has been associated with. From your vantage point, now that you're kind of uh, up above in the company, what makes this team so special? I think the group, the group of guys we have here, I mean, we're all, you know, when, when a lot of us, when this whole deal started at SHR, you know, in 2009, a lot of the core guys are still here. So, you know, when, when Tony and Gene assembled this, this, this team, there was a bunch of racers to start with. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of politics. There wasn't, you know, that atmosphere. It was just a bunch of guys that want to go out and win races, you know, and I think that's not only with the, the, new people that we brought in and our drivers that's you know there's no silver spoon kids these are all racers um which makes it you know makes it fun for everybody and uh you know we last year we had our struggles but uh i think this year this year it's guns blazing and uh let's get some more wins we're talking with rick pigeon fairfax vermont native longtime nascar pit cup crew or nascar pit crew member rather we got our coverage coming from vegas coming up on sunday now Rick's in the administrative side of things over at Stuart Haas Racing. You know, I, I, I made a joke, hey, I might be stupid earlier, and I'm not going to try to pretend to be something that I'm not. The audience knows I'm just getting into racing since I got the WDEV. You know I'm just getting into racing since I got the WDEV. So tell me, educate me a little further. How, is, how has NASCAR changed over the 25 years that you've been involved? Oh, um, leaps and bounds. Um, I think you have you have one of the best teachers you could possibly tap yeah. in, Dave Moody. You know, whenever you need to, whenever you need to get on the straight and narrow, just give him a call. Uh, but it's, I mean, from all aspects, the technical side of it, the actual uh, now the the pit stop choreography is different. The, the the size of the teams are different. The practice times are different. You know, the structure of the races are different. You know, before it was just we'd go out there. All right, it's a four hundred mile race. And, there's no cautions you're gonna run 400 miles in a row and and nothing to break it up you know now we have stage racing and we have uh, uh, one lug one lug pit stops mm -hmm. which, which is different um 
but I think growth is good. And I think if what everybody saw on Sunday, if this is direction we're headed with the race that they saw, I mean, there was a few bumps, but I think that was one of the best races I've seen in, in years. So I think, I think growth is good and the racing I think is only going to get better. You know, we've seen advancements to the cars themselves. We've seen changes to formats of races. We saw the clash at the Coliseum earlier this season before Daytona. What are some of the advancements or some of the things that NASCAR has tried that you're a fan of? Dirt racing. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a game changer. I think it brings in another, all the guys, they've been pavement guys their whole life. And now the car's sideways and no traction. And uh, I think that levels the playing field a little. For the, I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that came from dirt that are in the series now. And, you know, Kyle Larson, for example, I mean, I'd say he's uh, he's picked up to it pretty well. Um, it's just uh, I think the difference in the racetracks and not just the standard cookie cutter mile and a half racetracks, getting away from those more short tracks, more road courses. Um, the the new fans I don't think want to see cars go around on a pavement track for four hours in a circle, and it be the same race. 10 or 12 races out of the year. I think they want to see something different. And I think uh, with a new schedule, I think they have everything they need. You know, I know when you were in Vermont, if I'm remembering correctly, you were a Catamount Speedway guy. Um, am I, I right was, in that? I was a Thunder Road guy. Okay, Steve Phelps was a Catamount Speedway yeah. guy then. Okay, so you were a Thunder Road guy, even better. So last year was the first year I really got into Thunder Road. It was my first summer that I worked at WDEV. So I'm following the Thursday night races and – I'm learning the drivers and I'm interviewing some of the drivers and there's some very, very good drivers here at Thunder Road. And I kind of just wondered out loud to myself, why is it that some of these drivers don't push on and go to higher levels of the sport? And the answer I kept getting was it's really expensive to be a to be a racer and it's really expensive to do it full time. So um, talk to me about just kind of the grind and, and what resources you need available to get to the level that you're at. Well, I think it's twofold. I think drivers and pit crew members are, are a lot, really different. But as far as drivers are concerned, you know, you can get to the late model level, you know, and, and back in the day, the Bush North series, you know, was kind of your next step. Well, now those series kind of go away. So it's, it's a big jump from late models to trucks. So in order to make that step, you have to bring – either you're winning every race you're possibly in or you have money to back you to pay for that truck ride you're in. Yeah. So I think that's the, the, the hard part. And there's just so many grassroots racing divisions that people pull from. And, and don't get me wrong. There's a lot of daddy racing and late model racing and things like that, that you always have the best of the best equipment, but it's the guys that can drive the junk the best, I think <laughs> would <laughs> are are the best guys that kind of move up through the ranks um just because they they're not used to having the best of the best equipment they can do very well with with least and uh i think that's the biggest difference now but definitely you got to have the cash to play you know you mentioned dave moody and of course he used to work at wdev so i've gotten to know dave and talked with him and he and i interact on social media a bunch but also being a thunder road and an NASCAR guy i gotta imagine you have a ken squire story or two and ken is the owner of our station so i got to imagine you've come across ken multiple times in your career back when back when i was racing the act series you know ken would walk through the garage and things like that and it was you know that was ken squire that was yeah. you, know, you you heard him on the tv you've heard him announce the daytona 500 and it, he was kind of just the 
usually he was walking arm in arm with Tom Curley. So it was like those, you kind of just, those, those two are royalty. So you didn't, and I didn't really, back in the day, I didn't have very many dealings with, with Ken. He was kind of just that stigma that would walk through the garage and you're like, Hey, that's Ken Squire. Well, very, very cool. And we're, we're lucky to see Ken here almost every day in the office still. So we're talking with Rick Pigeon here uh, of the Stuart Haas racing team, by the way, I just saw that Tony Stewart put up his house in Indiana for sale. $30 million. It's got a two-story waterfall and a fully stocked trout pond or something. Are have you, you ever been to this house? Are you buying? I have not. I've never been to his house. Uh, <laughs> I've heard stories about it. It's uh, the Bass Pro Shops of Indiana, I would probably <laughs> want to call it. it uh, it's pretty. <laughs> I'd say it's a little overkill. I well, don't think anything that big anytime soon. I was saying, I'm not buying it. I was hoping if you bought it, could I get an invite sometime? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Rick, when you, when I know you don't get to Vermont often at this point, but you are a Fairfax native. Whenever you do get back, what's the first thing you want to do when you get back to Vermont? Outside of seeing certain people, what's the thing you miss most? Restaurant you want to go to, thing you want to do? What's the thing that kind of, uh, the first thing you want to uh, put on the agenda? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, have, I mean, I haven't been back in so long. Uh, I don't, I don't think I've got a good answer for that, Brady. Mm-hmm. I think, okay. I think now I think now that I have the time to go on the weekends, because, I mean, that opportunity now where I can fly up Thursday with the team and just go hang out with the family and stuff like that over the course of the weekend, um, maybe on my drive from New Hampshire to back to Fairfax, I can stop in at Thunder Road, you know. So I think that would be the cool part for me. Uh, now, finally, when I have some time, uh, I'd really like to get back there just to see what that place is like now. Well, it's really, really cool. And like I said, last year was the first year I've really gotten into it, but I've just heard about so many advancements and the new wall in the back there uh, to make it safer. And, um, you know, I thought it was a lot of fun last year. So you come up and uh, we're doing six or seven Thunder Road broadcasts this year on WDEV. So I'll come out with you. We'll watch together. Nice. I like it. (laughs) Rick Pigeon, NASCAR, longtime pit crew member, now Stuart Haas Racing on the administrative side, one of the best teams in the sport. We'll have our coverage from Vegas coming up here this Sunday as the NASCAR season continues on. Rick, I appreciate the time as always, and we'll do it again here later in the year. All right, buddy. Thank you, bud. Have a good day. Uh, You too. Rick Pigeon. I love talking to Rick Pigeon. But, yeah, I'm so embarrassed. I thought he was on the Briscoe team as we speak. But, no, he's up in the office. He's he's graduated up there. He said it's a young person's game. So, there you go. Bob in Moncton says, thank you for some NASCAR. Uh, go Truex. You're welcome, Bob. A couple other messages on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Uh, Joe says, love the Rick Pigeon interview. Thank you, Brady, for getting him on a longtime NASCAR fan. You're welcome, Joe. Frank's happy as well. Everybody's happy. Yes, we will talk some NASCAR, people. I understand where I work, who I work for, and what our listener base likes. So Rick Pigeon won't be the only NASCAR interview that we do for the course of the NASCAR season. I do love interviewing Rick, though. Great guy, a lot of fun, and... uh, I don't know that he'd really want to hang out with me at Thunder Road. That might have just been a platitude, but I'd hang out with Rick on Bud Hill or something. We'd hang out there and, uh, you know, have some fun together. So I'd like him to get the Tony Stewart house. That's what I'd like him to get to, though. So, all right. 
The Patriots apparently are going to let J.C. Jackson test free agency. That is just a huge mistake on multiple levels. I'll tell you why. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, we go up until 645, and then we've got the Boys Division II quarterfinals, Mount Abraham on the road at Montpelier. Coverage begins at 645 with the pregame show. Tip-off is 7 o'clock. Brent Curtis is on the call. A couple more texts coming in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line saying that how much everybody liked the Rick Pigeon interview, so you are welcome for that. Rick is awesome. We will bring him on again. Let's move over to the Patriots and the news out of the NFL Combine today comes from NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, who says the Patriots are not going to, they're not likely to franchise tag J.C. Jackson, their star defensive back. He adds that they are likely to then let him test free agency as a result of that. If the Patriots let J.C. Jackson go completely, and this looks certainly looks like it's trending that way, right? If they're not going to tag him, and they're going to let him go to free agency, he's clearly going to get a big offer from somebody that doesn't sound like it's going to be the Patriots. So if they let J.C. Jackson go to another team, they are making a huge mistake, an absolute huge mistake. And it would be a huge mistake for a few different reasons. One, J.C. Jackson is good. Two, you don't have a replacement for J.C. Jackson. And three, it sends a bad message to the rest of your football team. Those are the three reasons. I'll go through them, but those are the three that you need to know. J.C. Jackson's good, you don't have a replacement, and it sends a bad message. This is bad on multiple different levels. This is a poor decision by the Patriots on multiple different levels. If you want to win at the level that the Patriots want to win, if you want to win at the level that Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick are used to winning, and if you want to live, if you want to win at the level that we want the Patriots to win at, you need good players. Simply put, don't overthink this. Before you think about money and draft picks and this, that, and learning about prospects, don't oversimplify it. If you want to win at that level, you need good players. And you need to accumulate as many good players as you possibly can. And if you lose J.C. Jackson, that takes away one of your good players. Again, don't overthink it. You need good players to win. J.C. Jackson is good. You lose him. You have one less good player. The Bills have good players. They're looking to add more of them. The Bills have good receivers that need covering. And now you're going to be hampered in your efforts to do just that. The Chiefs have good players. The Bengals have good players. The Chargers, the Browns, the Ravens, the Broncos, they all are in the AFC and they all have good players and they're all actively trying to get better. And if and when you let J.C. Jackson go, then you are getting a little bit worse and you're getting a little bit further away from the top. And that does not sit well with me. The Patriots made the playoffs last year. The Patriots were close to winning a division last year. They shouldn't be thought of as that far away 
from the upper echelon in the AFC, but here they are. They're they're clearly in tier number two, and if you let J.C. Jackson go, one of your good players, arguably your best player last year, certainly on defense, then you're getting further and further from your goal. And my, I don't know about you, but my goal when I go into an offseason is to figure out how I can take two steps forward. And losing J.C. Jackson will be taking one giant step backwards. And to make matters worse, you you don't have anywhere to turn to. If you're Bill Belichick and you're that defense, you, you have nowhere to turn to if you let J.C. Jackson go. You can't let him go without having a proper plan in place, and the Patriots evidently don't have that plan. I was listening to Albert Breer on NBC Sports Boston the other day. The trade for Aqib Tlaib. Tlaib gets replaced by Revis. Revis gets replaced by Butler. Butler gets replaced by Gilmore. And then last year, I think J.C. Jackson did a nice job of sort of slotting in as that number one corner. They've had really good man-to-man corners for a long time here. So letting J.C. Jackson go, I think, would sort of necessitate a change there. What Breer said is important on two different fronts. Let's start with the first. The Patriots have always had a plan. They've always had a succession plan in the event that they were going to let a defensive back go, and they don't have that now. Like, Who are you replacing J.C. Jackson with? Because the guy who you'd replace him with, he's not on your roster right now. Jalen Mills is a slot corner. He's not a lockdown, number one, outside threat. Remember when he had to play out there earlier in the year this year? He struggled. When he moved to the slot, he was much, much better. Jonathan Jones, slot corner, also a free agent. So even if you bring him back, he's not the answer on the outside. Miles Bryant, Sean Wade, like where are you turning to replace Jackson? Okay, because to Breer's point, you had Tlaib, you moved on, you got Revis. Okay, I can live with that. You had Revis, you moved on, you got Butler. Okay, that worked. You had Butler, you got moved on, you got Gilmore. Okay. Had Gilmore, moved on, you had Jackson. Now we've reached the end of the line. You have Jackson, and now nobody else. So, what are your options? Because option one is replace him internally. That's what you've done in the past. You don't have that. Option two is go sign a, is go sign a star. J.C. Jackson is the star. J.C. Jackson is the top free agent DB on the market. If you're not going to pay to keep him, then, I mean, all I'm doing is getting lesser DB on the free agent market. So that's out. And then the third is draft. So I've been telling you for weeks I went to Patriots to draft a wide receiver in round one at pick 21. And now are they going to go blow that up? Go go, um, tear apart that idea, rather, and... Go draft the DB at pick number 21? That that doesn't seem smart to me. They need help at wide receiver. They need explosive offensive players. And here you are potentially having to go and ruin and thwart that plan to go get a DB when I already had a DB that apparently I don't want to pay. And Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston basically said the exact same thing there aren't many avenues to acquire that guy that would be a legitimate replacement for J.C. Jackson. He's not on the roster. Well, Free agency is not loaded at that position. 
and you might be drafting a guy really early and hoping that he can slot in and do Yeah, and you're hoping. You're sitting there and hoping that you could draft a guy as good as J.C. Jackson. I don't need to do that. I've got J.C. Jackson. If you don't want to sign him to four years, then tag him and play him. If you really want to just let him go, then tag him and trade him and get something of value where maybe you bring in an extra pick or two so you can go draft a DB. But just letting him walk outright, not smart. Not smart. Why were we okay last year? Why were the Patriots okay last year with Patrick Chung retiring? Simple. You had Kyle Duggar. You had the answer. You had the succession plan in place. You don't have that this year. You have reached the end of the line on the defensive back train. J.C. Jackson's it. You don't have the undrafted DB that we think is a star. Miles Bryant is good. Miles Bryant got torched in the playoffs. The Bills went after Miles Bryant constantly all game long. He is not a suitable replacement for J.C. Jackson. Sean Wade, who they acquired from Baltimore, who I barely remember playing last year, is not the answer. Jawan Williams is probably going to get cut. He's much more likely to get cut than he is to be a suitable replacement for Jackson. You've reached the end of the defensive back train. Jackson is the guy. He is where it stops. He should be on this roster next year. And letting him go would be a big time mistake and the third and final reason it would be a mistake this sends a really bad message to your football team I I do not like the message that this sends the Patriots believe that they are right there with the Bills the Patriots players believe it they believe that had they not faded down the stretch and not been you know lack of focus after the bye week they believe they're right there with Buffalo They're thinking they're one or two pieces away from catching and beating the Bills, and you have now made yourself one piece further away from them. That cannot sit well with a a National Football League roster. This cannot sit well. J.C. Jackson, this is not the Stephon Gilmore situation. Jackson's not 30 years old and injured. I understand why you don't want to pay that guy. J.C. Jackson is 26 He's in the prime of his career. I don't even know that he's entered the prime of his career yet. And if you're not willing to pay that guy who leads the National Football League in interceptions since 2018, who's healthy and who's only 26 years old, who are you willing to pay? That's not a message you want to send to your football team. And one more time, Phil Perry, NBC Sports Boston, he tells us like rival executives around the league think the Patriots need to keep Jackson. We can see the Patriots need to keep Jackson. Why can't the Patriots see it? Well, I've just spoken to coaches that feel like this is not just a priority, this is a necessity. (laughs) That they keep J.C. Jackson if they want to play the style of defense that they've played for so long. You have to have, according to these people I've spoken to, you have to have at least one legitimate, very capable, man-to-man press corner. Mm -hmm. Because the style of defense that they play requires at least one. Yeah, and to Breer's point earlier, not only are you losing a good player, you have to change up your whole style of defense here. The style of defense that Bill Belichick has perfected 
Do you have to change it up now, or do you just simply then not have good enough players to play that way, and you're going to get torched all season long next year? Not a fan of this development. I really thought the Patriots would be smart enough to recognize that J.C. Jackson is good and valuable. If they had planned it better, like they have in the past, I, I would have been okay if they let J.C. Jackson go. I was okay when they let Malcolm Butler go. They, they had gotten Stephon Gilmore. That was okay. This, this is not. Joe says this is the worst thing the Patriots could have done. Now he, they've, you know, they've probably offended Jackson so much he won't even want to sign there. Look, he'll sign with whoever pays the most money, but it's clear if the Patriots don't want to pay the franchise tag, they don't want to pay him at the top of the market. So it's just he'll sign for whoever sends the most money. It's just not going to be the Patriots. The only way this works for the Pats is if Jackson goes to the market, doesn't get the bites that he wants money-wise, and then somehow comes back to the Patriots on a lesser deal. But I really don't see any way that that happens. Quarterbacks and defensive backs, they get paid. Shaquille Griffin last year got paid. Somebody, Detroit, like somebody's going to throw money. Houston, Detroit, whoever's got the cash, Jacksonville, they'll throw money at J.C. Jackson, and he'll be interested in that. So this is not going to be where he just goes to the market and then comes back with his tail between his legs. That that That's not going to be the case at all. So 802-585-3026 is the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. Ralph says having J.C. Jackson would not be enough for them anyways. Ralph, so what what do you want them to do? You want them to not try? You want them to draft a couple of sixth and seventh rounders, put them on the outside, and say, here, go cover Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis. Good luck. I don't. This Patriots team won 10 games last year. I expect them to do all they can to win more than that this year. I don't know that they'll actually achieve it. I have my questions about Mac Jones. You know that. But they should be doing everything they can to improve upon last year's finish. And right now, all they've done by making this decision, apparently, is get worse. All right, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash, that's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. If you want that unlimited car wash package, it's $20 a month. If you want just one free car wash, text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. That's 30 followed by 400. Again, that is Vermont Laser Wash bringing us who's saying what. Former Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniel speaking this week at the NFL Combine. He spoke about a multitude of topics, including his time in New England, about why he was uh, why he took the job in Vegas with the Raiders, and he also said this about Mac Jones. Uh, I'm not sure I've, I've been around a more mature young football player in terms of understanding the game and, and being able to process at such a speed and such a level that Mac was. So um, I don't have any doubt that Mac's going to meet the challenge head on. Um, I wish him nothing but the best, and I'll be pulling for him, except 
when he plays Vegas next year. That's all really good to hear. It goes along with everything that we've heard about Mac Jones for the last 10 months, right? He's well-prepared. He studies hard. He works hard. He wants it bad. He processes well. And that's all really important. And those traits and those qualities and those habits, they're all things that I would desire my quarterback to have. But at some point, at some point, the rubber is going to meet the road, and it's not going to be a written test anymore. It's going to be a performance task, a performance task that you have to ace. And I don't trust that Mac Jones can ace it consistently. By the way, that quote is one of the, my all-time favorites. My high school basketball coach, like I'm a smart guy, sometimes lack common sense, but like I was book smart, and I so I wasn't always great like at reading defenses and stuff in the moment. I could tell you what you were supposed to do after the fact, but actually doing it, I tend to screw up. And my coach would say, Farkas, it's a written test. It's not, or it's a performance task. It's not a written test. Like you're great on the written test, but it's a performance task. Mac Jones is great. He's great from the neck up. I know that. But at some point, you've got to be able to do it in a game. And at some point, Mac Jones's Mac Jones's physical deficiencies. They're not going to be there at the same level that his head is at. Mac is going to know where the ball is supposed to go, but his arm won't allow him to get it there. Mac is going to know that if he just does this with his feet, the play will work, but he just won't be able to do it with his feet. I've said this all offseason. I'm not a Mac Jones hater. I'm a Mac Jones realist. I'm just telling you the truth. He is good. There are limitations, though. He's going to need a hell of a lot of help if we want the Patriots to get back to AFC Championship and Super Bowl contention. So when Josh McDaniel says he's prepared, he works hard, he studies hard, he's got great habits, that's all true, and that's all good. But at some point, it's going to come down to can you do the things that you know you're supposed to do and I don't trust that he can do all of those things as often as he'll need to for the Patriots to be great. I keep coming back to Kirk Cousins. I've made this analogy all season long. Heck, I made it before the Patriots drafted him. Kirk Cousins has all the things that Josh McDaniels has said. And how many times has Kirk Cousins been in the playoffs? I think three. Two with Washington and one with Minnesota. Kirk Cousins plays with Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, and Justin Jefferson, and he plays indoors, and he plays in a division that's not really that good. He's got a lot of things going right for him. And he's been to the playoffs once in Minnesota. And he had Stephon Diggs previously. He just can't do everything that you need to do, and I fear that that's going to be Mac Jones. I do. You have a good quarterback, Patriots fans. But you don't have great. And if you want to be in the consistent mix all the time, you're going to need great. Good can get you to the door once in a while. Ryan Tannehill has been to the AFC title game, and he got the number one seed. Ryan Tannehill is good. But when it really comes down to is Ryan Tannehill great, we saw what happened in that wild card game against the, or the divisional round game against the Bengals. I bet Tua could go on one special run. Do you trust him to be great enough to 
get the Dolphins into the AFC title game every year? I don't. Baker Mayfield went on one special run last year. Is Baker Mayfield that special? No. Maybe Mac Jones is a little bit better than Baker Mayfield. Maybe he's a little bit better than Tua, but I really doubt that he has the special to put you in that conversation every single year. I appreciate what Josh McDaniels says, and I believe that Josh McDaniels means it about Mac Jones, and I believe that it's all true. It's just going to come down to more than his head at some point. McDaniels also talked about why he took the Raiders' job and left the Patriots. To me, this was just an opportunity that I felt like I couldn't pass up. Um, and I've waited a long time to try to have an opportunity to do this. Um, I wanted to, to really try to you know, improve and uh, take whatever time necessary I needed to try to do it really well, as best I could. Um, and I felt like I've done that. I don't begrudge Josh McDaniels for leaving. Now, I begrudge him for taking multiple staffers with him. I can begrudge him for what he did to Indy a few years ago and look down upon that, but I don't I don't look down upon Josh McDaniels for leaving. And I think what he said there is perfectly fair. Uh, this was the time. You know, you only get so many chances to accomplish your dream, and eventually you just have to do it. I don't think it would have been smart for him to wait for the Patriots job. I don't think he's going to get it. I don't think he would have gotten it. I don't think it would have been smart to just stay as an offensive coordinator. He's already accomplished everything that he can do there. I don't look down upon somebody who's put in the time, who has a goal, and who wants to challenge himself. I can dislike certain things about how Josh McDaniels got to this place, but I can't lament the fact that he's in this place now. He he should have taken this opportunity. I said all along if I was the Raiders, I wouldn't have hired him, but that's a different conversation. I don't lament Josh McDaniels for taking a chance on himself. This was the time. So uh, there you heard it from the horse's mouth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. High school basketball tips off in about 20 minutes. We'll get you out there in about 15 minutes with Brent Curtis on the call. When we come back, I caught a lot of grief yesterday on social media for what I said about UVM men's basketball's draw in the America East Conference Tournament. Well, newsflash, like I always say, two things can be true at once. I'll tell you what those two things that are true in this case at the same time next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. They have facilities in Enosburg and in Milton. They can help you with your Class A CDL, your Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well. There's book work, and then there's real-life application of that book work on the course as well. Qualified instructors could be the next great step in your career. It's ProDriverCDL, and again, that's ProDriverCDL.com. I caught heat last night on social media for my thoughts on the America East men's basketball conference tournament bracket. So, I mean, here here's how it stands, right? UVM is the one seed, and they're taking on NJIT, and that game is going to be Sunday at uh, 2 o'clock at Patrick Gym. Where I caught the heat was, 
I said I didn't like to see, as a UVM fan, that Hartford is on the four line. Hartford, who was you know left for nothing when UVM played them earlier in the year, then all of a sudden came up and got hot and got the four seed. So they're going to play fifth seed in UAlbany. If the bracket works how it's supposed to, if all the favorites win, UVM is going to play Hartford in the semifinals. And I made a comment like, hey, that makes me nervous. Hartford is the team I don't want to see. And I caught grief from people saying, hey, UVM wins 17-1 and in the league. You've said you thought they could win an NCAA tournament game. You can't have it both ways. You can't say they're going to win the tournament game and then be afraid of Hartford. Yes, I can. Of course I can say that. Two things can be true at the same time. Two things are true at the same time here. On one hand, Vermont dominated its league. Vermont has maybe the two best players in the league in Ryan Davis and Ben Shungu. Vermont is excellent. If they get into an NCAA tournament and they get a proper seed and a proper matchup with a team that doesn't know them that well, they absolutely can pull an upset. Get hot from three, hit 10 threes, Davis and Shungu go off, Deloney comes off the bench. and get Vermont absolutely can win a tournament game. I don't know if they will, but they can. It can also be true that within their league, a league that they dominated, I can be nervous about a potential opponent, and I am nervous about Hartford. Hartford was 3-6 and six when UVM played them and lost. That was UVM's only loss was to Hartford. Hartford was 3-6 and six in the league. They went after, after that stretch, they went 5-3, and three, or they went 6-3 and three down the stretch. So Hartford got hot, has played well of late here. They've beaten UVM two of the last three times they've played, including last year in the conference semifinals and this year. So, yes, Hartford is a team that makes me nervous. Stony Brook's not in this tournament, so they're a team I would be nervous about. They're not here. UMBC doesn't worry me at all. Albany doesn't worry me at all. UMass, Lowell, NJIT, none of these teams worry me. The team that worries me is Hartford. It's hard to... To, you know, when you play a team three times and there's all the tape on you, these two teams know each other. Austin Williams and Moses Flowers are phenomenal scorers and phenomenal athletes for Hartford. I, I don't think that I'm sandbagging at all. UVM can win an NCAA tournament game. If they're going to lose in the league tournament, Hartford is the team that I think they'd lose to. They're the team that I'd fear. I'd like to put off playing Hartford as long as possible. I'd rather see Hartford in the championship, in a championship game that's nationally televised, that's sold out, that has a student presence to it, that's played on a weekend, not played on a sleepy weeknight. I think that's perfectly fair. I got you know called out for saying, like, how dare you be worried about Hartford after how good UVM was? You must not think they're that good. No, I think they're that good. Hartford is a team that's hot, that's beaten you, that's beaten you in the playoffs, that's beaten you on your home floor. And has the only other scorer in the league, probably, that can take over a game in the way that yours can. So, yes, both things can be true. 802-585-3026. But, yeah, UVM is going to play in the conference tournament opener. That's going to be Sunday. Patrick Jim, 2 o'clock against NJIT. Go to the women's game tomorrow. Remember, Catamounts, first home playoff game for the UVM women 
in 21 years. It's at 2.30 tomorrow at Patrick Gym. They're taking on Binghamton. UVM got the three seed. Uh, 13-5 and five for the Catamounts in league play this year. An unbelievable turnaround. Remember, they didn't finish the season last year because COVID was so tough on them. They walked away from the season in January and said, you know what, it's just not worth it. We're opting out. And here they are this year, 13-5. and five. They've got a, a, a starting five that really – look, UVM gets almost nothing from their bench. It's going to all come from Emma Otterback and Delaney Richardson and uh, Josie Larkins and – who, uh, and Olsen. It's going to come from those four, really. So if they stay out of foul trouble, they should win tomorrow against Binghamton because they need all their scoring to come from those girls. But it's going to be a fun fun environment tomorrow at Patrick. Go, uh, go support it, 2.30 tomorrow. All right, let's catch up on the text line a bit here. Ray, who's over in Warren, says, I only have issues. Oh, he's going back to yesterday. Okay. I only have issues with your thoughts about Russian athletes of any age being accepted in anything. Yes, it is not their fight, but it will hopefully send a message to the good people of Russia that what is being done is unacceptable. Yes, you pay for what your country does. Um, I, I disagree, Ray, and I, we, don't have to, we don't have enough time to get into all of it from yesterday. I'm not saying that all Russian athletes should be allowed to compete. I don't think that Russian national teams should be allowed to compete. Adult national teams. We're talking about hockey teams at the World Juniors. Hockey teams at the Ice Hockey Worlds. We're talking about volleyball teams. We're talking about World Cup qualifiers. I'm not interested in letting Russian teams with their flag, you know, waving, participate. 16-year-olds trying to get drafted into the Canadian Hockey League who want to leave Russia and come west, why do they have to pay? I don't believe that that is fair. And by the way, there's an NHL a hockey agent who reps a lot of Russian players. So obviously, yes, he's you know, got he's got a, a, a monetary or a business motive for supporting them. He's also Ukrainian himself. He said, look, I'm Ukrainian. I want peace. But what is happening to these Russian athletes, the discrimination that they're facing, that is not fair. And... When it's a 16-year-old looking to get, you know, looking to play in the Canadian Hockey League, and all of a sudden they're going to be banned, that's discrimination. That's a discriminatory practice, and I don't believe that that would be fair. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us. We're going to get you out to high school basketball. Brady Farkas show here on this Friday. Go check out the podcast, which is available after the show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Thanks to everybody who got in on the YouTube channel as well as the Facebook Live channel. So. We will see you on Monday. Thanks to Rick Pigeon as well for stopping by the NASCAR uh, longtime pit crew member. He was with us at 545. His interview also available on the podcast channel. The NASCAR Cup Series continues on this weekend in Vegas. That is Sunday. Tonight, here's our weekend schedule quick before I get out of here. Mount Abe and Montpelier, D2 boys, 645. Tomorrow, D2 Girls, the state championship, Spalding at Mount Abe, 3.30 with our coverage there. And uh, later at night, 6.45, Hartford at Spalding. That's another D2 quarterfinals. So, and then the NASCAR race on Sunday. I will see you all on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Stay safe out there. And uh, Brady Farkas Show will be back then on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.